Um, tonight we are we are changing it up a little bit. We have been in the Old Testament for like the last nine weeks. So tonight, since we finished up looking at the grandmas of Jesus last week, tonight we're going to jump over to the New Testament, and we're going to be in the book of Second Peter. And as we look at Second Peter, does anybody know what book that comes after in the Bible? First Peter. That's absolutely. See, I try to give you an easy one right off the bat. Yes, it comes after First Peter. And here, here's the interesting thing. Um, we're not starting with 1 Peter because we actually walked through the book of 1 Peter two years ago. If you guys, if you don't remember, 1 Peter, like this, this is the book we were walking through when the entire world shut down back in 2020. In fact, it was this Wednesday night, exactly two years ago, that was the last Wednesday night we gathered together in person for three months before we were shut down, we didn't come together. And even when we started back, when we first started coming together, if you remember, we were doing everything on Instagram. We started worshiping online together on Instagram. And, and when, when we got back on campus, it was just me and a couple of the adults and the praise team, and we were broadcasting live from, from the refuge down there before we moved over here. So that's why I'm excited. I'm excited every single week, guys, on Wednesday night when, when I get to be up here and when I get to see you guys walk in the door and stand around and talk because there was a long period of time two years ago that we didn't get to do this. So this is exciting to me. But that's, that's when we were studying that was two years ago. And tonight as we jump into the New Testament, we're jumping right into Second Peter. And I want to ask you a question. This is the question. You don't need to answer it right now, but I want you to think about this. As we walk through this scripture tonight, as we walk through these first 11 verses, the question is this. Does the gospel affect my life? I want you to keep that question in the back of your mind because there's, there's many of us in here that would say, you know what, of course the gospel affects my life. You know, I, I, I got to the point where I knew I was a sinner that I couldn't fix my own sin problem, that I needed Jesus, His death, burial, and resurrection. I needed Him to forgive me of my sin. And in that moment, I asked Him to forgive me. And in that moment, Scripture tells me I was forgiven and I belong to God. And now I know that my eternity is secure in who God is and the fact that He's forgiven me. So we, we know that the gospel affects our eternity. But sometimes we forget about the fact that the gospel is supposed to affect our life. We know where we're going when, we're di when we die if you put your faith and trust in Jesus. But does the gospel actually affect your life every single day? That's the kind of thing that, that Peter starts talking about as we start walking through this book. And especially in these first 11 verses, he's, he's helping the original audience as well as us understand that, that what we say we believe should affect the way that we live our lives. It shouldn't just be a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whenever you go to church. That should not be the only time that the gospel or God's word has any impact on your life. It should affect you every single day, in every single situation. And that's what Peter's writing about here, and he's trying to help us understand the way he was helping the original audience understand. So, since we're starting a new book, I'm going to ask you the questions. Who wrote the book of 2 Peter? Peter, man, oh man, you guys got that one. That's good. All right. When do we believe it was written? 64. There, there's some question there. Some scholars say 67 to 68. Some say 64 to 67. So how about this? We'll go somewhere in 64 to 68. How about that? Does anybody know kind of what, where, or let me back up. Where was Peter when this was written? <laughs> What's that? What's that? That's Paul. Well, we, we know, we believe he was in Rome. 
It's quite possible he was in jail. Yeah, remember, I've told you guys that over and over. If somebody asks you that when we're talking about a book that Paul wrote, like a lot of the time you can say jail and you're probably right because he spent a lot of time in prison. So Peter, he's writing this. Do you know what was going on when he wrote this? Specifically in Rome? Like what was happening? I'm asking you to think back two years ago now because what was happening when we walked through 1 Peter was starting to happen, but now it's actually happening. Anybody have any idea? Jesus? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Jesus has already been. Jesus has already been crucified, risen from the dead, ascended back into heaven with God. Holy Spirit has come. All of that has happened, and he has not come back yet. Yes. Emperor Nero was... I, hey, I knew y'all had this. Mr. I looked over, Mr. John just went... That's, that's exactly right. Emperor Nero, the Roman emperor, was persecuting Christians. If you remember, and, and maybe you don't, when we walked through 1 Peter, that's what was starting to happen when that book was written. Peter wrote that book to encourage the church and, and to warn the church because they were facing, basically they facing the loss of their life because they decided they were going to follow Christ. And as, as Peter wrote this second book here, this was written right before he was martyred, which basically means he was killed for his faith. Okay, he, he was killed because... He was preaching and teaching and following the name of Jesus. He lost his life. And, and Nero, he, he was a bad dude. There's, there's, I, I don't remember if this is factual or, or this is a belief that Nero was so against Christianity that he would take Christians when he would have like outside parties and use them as human torches. That's how much he didn't like Christianity. So this... Which, which should scare some of you that use like hairspray in your hair. If that happened today, you'd be like, Whoa. I mean, you'd go up in a heartbeat. Back then, they didn't have all that. But, but listen, he's writing this. He's writing this to these people. And he's writing this to encourage them because they're facing persecution right then and there. But he's also writing this to warn them. Because as what can happen very easily in churches then and in churches today, people begin to start teaching things that aren't true. They begin to start teaching things that aren't factual about who God is and what his word says. And he's writing this book not to just encourage them, but to warn them that there are people who are coming into the church and saying things that are not true about God. And they're actually getting other people to follow them. And Peter's saying, hey, you need to be careful. You need to understand what Scripture says. So that's kind of what's going on as we jump in tonight, to this tonight. So I'm going to ask Mr. Finn, come on up here, sir. He's going to read for us. Do you need my Bible? You need a Bible? Here you go. Chapter 1, if you guys will stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I'll hold that microphone for you. Apostle from Jesus Christ to those who have obtained faith of equal standing with our, ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. His divine power granted, has granted us to us all things that pertain to life with godliness to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted 
Oh, I did that wrong. You're okay. No, he says the same thing again. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, have having to es- having escaped from the corruptions that is in the world of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort of to su- supplement mm-hmm. your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control with, and self-control with steadfastness and, and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and with brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours are increasing, they keep you from being effective or untruthful unfruitful unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that it, it he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former former sins therefore brothers be all more vigilant diligent to make your calling and a lecture election sure for if you practice these qualities you will never fail for this is the way there will be richly provided for you for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom for of our lord and savior jesus christ all right let's pray God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be here. And Lord, I thank you uh, that we can spend time in your word. Lord, I pray that as we read through this tonight, as we walk through it, help us to be changed because we've been in your presence and we've been in your word. God, help us to be changed because we've been together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all give it up for Mr. Finn. Hey, it's, 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 it makes you nervous getting up here, doesn't it, Finn? Absolutely. I'm a little sweaty, nervous about it every single week, so I know how you feel. But thank you for being willing to do that. So let's, let's walk through this, okay? I know Miss Kathleen's like, I can't believe you just said you're sweaty. It's okay. It happens. I know. You know. I, I keep my arms down. All right? So Second Peter. Let's walk through the first two verses. Listen to what he says here again. It's, it's actually pronounced Simeon. It's, it's another version of the name Simon, which was his original name. And then the name Jesus gave him was Peter. So Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So he's using one name three different times in there. What name is that? Nope. Jesus. He says Jesus or Jesus Christ. He says it three different times in those verses right there. So you kind of get an idea really quickly of who he's talking about and what he's focusing on. Okay, now he he starts by identifying himself. He calls himself two different things. What are they? He says he's a servant and apostle. Okay, now servant, would, would most of you classify yourself as a servant? Yes, okay, yes, maybe, not sure. He, here's to your parents, okay? <laughs> well, that's a whole other issue we need to talk about. Okay, but, but, but what Paul's doing here, Paul is saying he's a servant. Paul, Peter, I'm used to it. Peter is saying that he's a servant of Jesus Christ. And by, by saying that, he's basically communicating that he is under the complete control of his master by using that word servant. 
That, that's, there's another word. The original language is doulos. And that, that means you are, you are basically a servant. You have nothing of your own. You do nothing of your own. You do everything and have everything because of who your master is. And that's the word that Peter uses there to describe himself. He is 100% under the control of Jesus. And then he calls himself an apostle. He's an apostle because at that time, that word, that was used to refer to somebody who was an eyewitness of the, of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Basically, what he's doing is he's given his credentials. He's saying, hey, I'm, I'm getting ready to tell you guys, the church, some things, but I want you to understand that I know what I'm talking about. Okay, I've been there, I've seen Jesus, I've spent time, I know what I'm about to get into, so I need you to make sure you listen up. And then he goes on to start addressing them. He says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love the way he does this because look at the words he says. He says, those who have obtained an equal standing with ours. What Peter is saying here is he's saying, hey, we're all the same. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are all on equal footing when it comes to being at the foot of the cross. There is no super Christian. There is no VIP. He's, he, he said, you know what? I'm a servant. I'm an apostle. But at the end of the day, we're all the same because we're all sinners forgiven by grace. We're all the same in God's eyes. Sometimes we look at certain people and we think, well, they're, they're like a super Christian because they, they know all the words to the songs and, and they've been in church their entire life and we think they're a little bit more spiritual and holy than we are. But Scripture says right there and what Peter is helping us understand is that's just not the case. It actually goes back, it echoes back into the New Testament. There was a time where, where the disciples were kind of arguing amongst themselves and, and Jesus asked what they were talking about. And, and they came to Jesus and said, you know, we want to know who's going to be the greatest among us. Like when, when you go back to heaven, can, can we sit at your right hand? Can we sit at your left hand? They wanted to know who was the, the best apostle, the best disciple. And Jesus told them, none of you. You're all equal. And that's what Peter is reminding these readers of and, and what Peter in these first two verses is reminding us of. That when it comes to our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we are all at the same level. Now maybe some people have walked with God longer. Maybe some have just started walking with God this week. But we're all sinners forgiven by grace. So all of this matters for every single one of us. And then in verse 2, you're not going to remember this from two years ago, but in verse 2, he starts off by using the exact same language he used in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, he said, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And then he goes on, he says, In the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus. Now pay attention to the fact that he says in the knowledge of God because he's going to come back around to that same phrase as we work through this. He goes on in verse 3, he says, His divine power, talking about God, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Does that verbiage get a little confusing there? As, as he's writing, it, it seems like he's kind of starting to say some of the same things, but, but basically what he's laying out here is he's saying, according to these verses, God gives... 
Every believer, every person that says they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they've been forgiven of their sin, he's saying that God gives every believer absolutely everything they need to know in order to live a life that honors him. That knowledge that he talked about in verse 2, it's not just knowing facts about God. Every one of us in here, we could probably start naming facts, stories or, or things that we learned if you grew up in church and, and you heard about David and Goliath and, and you heard about all of these other things that were in the Bible. You can probably just rattle off some of those facts because you know things about God. That is knowledge, yes. But that's not the knowledge that Peter is talking about. The knowledge that he's talking about, it's a saving knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. We can know a lot about God and never actually know God. It's, it's kind of like some of you guys that, that, that follow sports or follow musicians. You know a lot about, you know a lot of facts about that, that athlete or you know a lot of facts about that musician, but you don't actually know that person. You can rattle off statistics and you can rattle off number one songs and lyrics all day long, but that person doesn't know you. And that's kind of what he's talking about here. He's saying this, this knowledge here, this isn't just knowing facts about God. This is actually having a saving relationship, a knowledge of who God is, because that knowledge has brought you to the point to acknowledge your own sin problem. It's knowing God and knowing who he is because you understand that, that God is holy and God is just and God is perfect and God is sinless. And you and I are absolutely none of those things on our own. That's what Peter's talking about when he's talking about this knowledge. The fact that God is just and right to condemn us for our own sin. The fact that we don't deserve a relationship with him. That there's nothing we can do to earn a relationship with him. The fact that he has every right to look at you and I dead and trapped in our sin and turn away and say, I don't have to. That's the knowledge that Peter's talking about here. And yet through the person of Jesus, he did exactly the opposite of that. He took, he took the step through Jesus and he stepped into humanity and he lived a sinless life, Jesus did. And then he took the penalty that is owed for your sin and my sin when he gave his life on the cross. Because the, the very nature of God, of God demands a payment for sin. And God knew that you and I, we can't make that payment. We're incapable. So God stepped in and he did it for us. Jesus gave his life willingly on the cross to pay the price that you and I owe for our sin. And when you understand that, when you understand where you are, who you are as a sinner, and you understand that God is the only one who can fix that, that God grants salvation from your sin through Jesus Christ, Scripture says that is a saving knowledge. And in that moment, you're forgiven. And he says right there, in that moment, you become a partaker of, of his divine excellence, of his divine nature. Now, you need to understand this. Let me clarify. That does not mean you become God. Just because you, you partake in his nature, that does not mean you are God. It doesn't mean you're God with a little g. It doesn't mean you're part of God with a big g. What that means is, in that moment, God forgives you of your sin and you belong to him from that point on. 
That means that sin that defined who you are doesn't define you anymore. What defines you is the relationship you have with God through Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us in that moment you're declared righteous, just, holy, clean, all of those things that Scripture tells us. You are gifted by God the very things that you will never be apart from Him. Think about that for a second. Think about how your parents take care of you. When you're little, they give you everything you need, don't they? They give you food, clothes, shelter, transportation, something to drink. They give you everything that you need. And if you did not have them doing that for you, what would happen to you? Hey, you'd probably die. Because they love you, they give you everything that you need for you to grow and begin to do that for yourself. Now that's, that's a poor example, but that's, that's what God does for us. We are trapped dead in our sin. We can't fix ourselves. So God said, here is everything you need. I'm going to give you everything that you need to be able to trust me, to be able to follow me, to be able to live a life that honors me. That's what Peter is communicating here. And, and look at the words that, that Peter uses. Go back in there. It says, his divine power has granted to us all things. It's God's power. To, that pertain to a life of godliness through the knowledge of him, him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. If you read through those couple verses, who's doing all the work there? He is. God's, God's doing all of it. God did all of the work so that you and I could know who he is. Not because we deserve any of it, but because of the love and the grace and the mercy that God has for every single one of us. God is the one that did the work. God is the one that took the action. God is the one that took the burden and the responsibility to save you and I from our sin. And when you understand that, when you grasp that, when you accept what he has done, and when you put your faith and your trust in him, God has done what God is going to do. Now it's time for you and I to get to work. I always, I always tell people, you know, putting your faith and trust in Jesus, that's the easy part. And sometimes it feels incredibly hard to do. But that's the easy part. The hard part is actually starting to live it out every single day. Not because your salvation, not because God forgiving you depends on what you do, but because once you belong to God, He's called you and I to a life that honors Him. And that means we've got work to do. The gospel affects your eternity the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But you have to decide if it's going to affect your daily life. And that's why I started with that question. Does the gospel affect your life? Your eternity, yes, that's awesome. But does it affect your life every single day? Look at verse 5 and see how Peter talks about how it should affect your life. He says, for this very reason, for the reasons he's already talked about, verses 1 through 4, because of who God is, because what God has done, because what Jesus has done, because he has made all of that available to you as a believer, as a disciple, because of this very reason, he says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Because God has done 
only what God could do, and he provided the only possible solution to the sin problem that we have because you and I have come to an understanding that I can't be forgiven without what Jesus did on the cross because you've accepted the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and you've trusted him. Scripture says now you have work to do. Now it's time to get busy. Verses 1 through 4, God does the calling and saving when it comes to our salvation, but we have works to do once we've received God's forgiveness. And the reason I say we have work to do is because the things he's talking about here don't come naturally for us. The things he just walked through and listed, these aren't things. Now, it may come easier for some people, but it still doesn't come naturally. There's actually a quote that I saw uh, posted recently. There's a guy by the name of D.A. Carson. He's a theologian, and he, and he wrote this. He said, people do not drift towards holiness. Apart from the grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward, toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. And that's a great reminder because we don't naturally move towards God. We naturally go the opposite direction. You guys have heard me say this over and over again talking about your friends. Your friends are either pushing you towards God or they're pulling you away from God. Which means you, as somebody else's friend, you're either pushing them towards God or you're pulling them away from God. And our natural direction is not towards God. That's why Peter says we have to roll up our sleeves and get to work. And he says, make every effort here to supplement your faith. Supplement, that means you're going to do it at your own expense. That means somebody else isn't doing it for you. For a lot of us in here, and I can say that because I grew up in church, for years I would go to church and I would open my Bible when the pastor said open the Bible or the youth pastor said open the Bible and I would read what they said to read and then I would go home and I would put that Bible on a shelf and I wouldn't touch it again until next Wednesday or next Sunday because I was content to let them do the work. Let them read God's word and tell me what I'm supposed to do. And yet that's not what scripture is saying here. He's saying that, that we have a responsibility. That means pursuing Jesus and, and letting the gospel affect every single part of your life. That's going to require a sacrifice of your time, a sacrifice of your resources, and a sacrifice of your effort. You have to pursue holiness and work at it on your own. I can't do it for you. Your life group teacher can't do it for you. Your parents can't do it for you. You have to do it. That's why we talked about it this last Sunday night. We started talking about what we call spiritual disciplines. Because it's a discipline to pursue God. None of us likes discipline, but you know if you've played a sport or you've played an instrument or you've got a hobby that you wanted to get really good at, you have to do those things even when you don't feel like doing those things. So that when you need to be able to do those things, you can. And that's what spiritual disciplines are all about. And that's what he's saying here is we've got to be disciplined. And then Peter goes on to talk about these individual things. And notice here there's a progression 
There's a building of what's happening. It starts with faith and then it goes from there. The first thing he talks about there is he talks about virtue. Virtue in your life, this, this is reflecting the character of God and the way that you live. It's, it's having integrity. It's having consistency. It's showing grace to people. And that list goes on and on and on. It's not just doing the right things, but it's having the right character that reflects the excellence of who God is. That's what that means by virtue. Then he goes on and he, he says knowledge. Again, that's not just intellectual facts. That's that relationship knowledge that you have of Jesus and his truth that you act on. And that acting leads to self-control. Don't raise your hand, but I'm willing to bet there's a few people in here that struggle with self-control. We all do in some form or fashion. You, you give me a pan of like freshly baked out of the oven chocolate chip cookies, I am not going to have self-control. <laughs> Riley's like, oh yeah. Everybody's got something like that in their life. And yet what he's saying here is even, even in those simple things, we learn to practice self-control, not because we have that much control over our lives, but because we've given God that much control over our lives. Because let's be honest, eventually your self-control is going to fail. You cannot master yourself. It's only the Holy Spirit working in your life. At any given moment, your own self-control is going to fail. At any given moment. But when you've submitted your life to Christ, and the Holy Spirit is working in you and through you, through God's word, self-control becomes a part of who you are because God is the one who is giving you that ability, not yourself. And then he goes on and he said, steadfastness. This is the ability to endure hardship. Meaning that when you've got pressure in your life, when you've got difficulties, when you've got things that, that man, you just want to give up. Steadfastness is continuing to pursue God no matter what is happening. No matter how frustrating the situation is, no matter how painful it is, knowing that God still loves you, knowing that God has not changed and he is going to be there no matter what happens in your life. That's what he means by steadfastness. And then he goes on and he says godliness. Again, that's, that's living in a way that honors God. It's allowing the gospel to affect every single area of your life. And then brotherly affection, brotherly love among the, the believers, among Christians. Scripture tells us that's how people know that we belong to God, is the fact that we love each other. It's in the book of John. I didn't write down the verse here, but it's in the book of John. It talks about how people will know us as believers, will know us as the church because of the brotherly affection that we have for each other. And that leads to love. John 13, 34, 35 says this, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There it is. I didn't forget to write it down. It's, it's, it's not a feeling. Understand this. Love, we have confused love and we've equated it to this is how I feel. The problem is how I feel can change every 20, 30 seconds some days. Love is a commitment. Love is a choice that, that no matter how you feel, it's a commitment of your heart and your soul and your mind that you are going to pursue what is best for the person that is being loved. Even if that person doesn't want it at the time. That's, that's what love is because, guys, Scripture tells us that God so loved us 
that he sent his son. You and I, trapped, dead in our sins, Scripture tells us our minds were set against God before we put our faith and trust in him, and yet God loved us. That's the love that he's talking about here. He's saying these are the things as believers that you have to work to make a part of your life. That you've got to actually go after these things and work. And he says in verse 8, he says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Peter says these have to be increasing, they have to be at work, they have to be growing, and when you do that, they keep you from being ineffective. You, you, everybody's known, okay, I'm, I'm, I don't want to hear names, but does anybody in here have that one teacher or has had that one teacher that you just think, they're a horrible teacher? No names. And if you're homeschooled, you probably shouldn't have your hand raised right now. I love you, I'm just saying, be careful, Okay. But we all have those. You can put your hands down. Hey, we look at them and we think they're ineffective. What they're supposed to be doing, they're not doing. They're horrible at it. But that's the same thing Peter's saying about us. If, if we're not pursuing those things, if we're not working to make those things a part of our life, if we're not pressing into who God has called us to be and striving to, to be who God has changed us into and who we're supposed to be that honors him scripture says we are ineffective we are unfruitful it means we're playing a game and we're wasting our time that's what peter's talking about here and he goes on to say that that if you're not pressing into jesus like this you're you're so nearsighted that you're blind now i don't, I don't know if you guys know what that means i if i don't have glasses on or have my contacts in like i do right now i'm nearsighted Nearsighted means I can see everything right here, but if I take out my contacts and I try to read things on that back wall, that gets real blurry real fast. And he's saying that you are so nearsighted means you can't even see things right here. You're blind. You're, you're missing everything. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying you're so nearsighted he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Peter says, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus and you're not working to grow closer to God, working to make these things a part of your daily life, then you've forgotten what God has done in your life. You've forgotten that moment where you understood you were a sinner and you put your faith and trust in him. That, that it's, it's gone for you. He says, we, we've got to focus on those things so that we don't forget what God has done for us. You've ignored the moment that you put your faith in Jesus and you've not let the gospel affect every area of your life. And then he finishes with these last two verses. Verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter's finishing this section right here by basically saying, don't be lazy in your salvation. Don't get to the point and say, you know what? God has forgiven me. I've put my faith and trust in Jesus. Whew, 
I'm good now. I don't have to worry about life from here on out. He says, don't be lazy. It's, it's like some of you in here at one point in time, some of you got a new puppy. Maybe for Christmas, maybe for a birthday. And you were so excited about that puppy when you first got it. And you're like, mom, dad, I will feed it every day. I will take it to the bathroom. I will clean up after it. I won't let it tear up its toys. I won't let it destroy the house. And then about a month later, your parents are like, you don't even want this dog anymore. Because you got lazy. And you didn't want to take the dog out when it was raining. And the dog's whining at the door at 6 o'clock in the morning and you're hitting the snooze button because you don't want to go outside and take it to the bathroom. You're lazy about it. That, that's what he's saying here. He's saying don't, don't be lazy in your salvation. If you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, you've got to pursue Jesus on a daily basis. You've got to work on that relationship. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to draw near to God. You've got to deny the natural desire that each one of us has to please ourselves in the moment and decide to live for Christ. And he says, when you do that, you're confirming that you belong to God and that the gospel of Jesus Christ has actually affected every area of your life. So let's go back to the original question. Does the gospel affect your life? If, if you sit here tonight and you say, you know you've been forgiven of your sin. You know that you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. You belong to God. There is no doubt in your mind. I rejoice with you in that. I celebrate with you because that is an incredible thing. But has that affected the rest of your life since that moment? Has it affected the way that you treat people? Has it affected the way that you speak? The way that you think? The things that you listen to? The things that you watch? Are you pursuing Jesus in every area of your life? Which of those things in verses 5 through 7, that whole list, do you need to begin to work on in your life tonight? Is it self-control or, or godliness or steadfastness or, or any one of those things? If you sit here tonight and you're lazy in your salvation, that doesn't have to continue. Scripture tells us we have a job to do. We have to actually pursue Christ on a daily basis. And my encouragement for you, my challenge to you tonight is to start doing that if you're not. Look at that list and ask God to show you which one of these are the things that I need to start working on first. What is it that I need to put on to add to my life, not because I can do it, but because I'm pursuing Christ and He's going to do it? You can start tonight and ask God to give you that desire to grow closer to Him. And, and maybe you're in here tonight and maybe the gospel hasn't affected your life because the gospel hasn't affected your eternity. Maybe you've heard it over and over and over and you kind of think, you know what? Grew up in church, I'm good. Been around God my whole life. Me and him, we're pretty tight. But you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin. You've never understood that you and God, if you've never done that, you're not as tight as you think you are. Scripture tells us we have to come to that point and say, God, I'm a sinner. And I can't forgive myself. I need you to forgive me of my sin through what Jesus did. And I want to put my faith and trust in you and follow you with the rest of my life. Scripture says in that moment, that's when you have faith. That's where Peter started. All of those other things hinge on that decision. 
And if you're here tonight and you've never made that decision, that's your starting point tonight. And as we get up and we start to sing, if you're to the point tonight that you know you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you're not sure how to do that or you have questions about that and you want to talk to somebody, I'm going to be standing right down front. There's adults all around this room who would love to talk to you about that. Get up and go talk to one of them. If you're scared to do that, take a friend with you. If you're here tonight and you know you belong to Christ, but you know you're not pursuing Him, you know you're not doing the things He calls us to do, you're being lazy in your salvation, maybe you spend a moment and ask God to give you the desire and the consistency to pursue Him. And start working on those things that we're supposed to work on. Does the gospel affect your life? Does what you say you believe affect the way you actually live? That's a question only you can answer tonight. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, God. We thank you that we can come together tonight. And God, I pray. God, I pray that as as we stand up to sing this last song, God, help each one of us to take a moment and answer that question. God, I pray for every single person in this room. I, I pray for myself included. Help us not to be lazy in our salvation. God, help us to know that you've called us to press into you, to grow in our faith, to let the gospel affect the way that we live every single moment of every single day. Help us to make sure the gospel affects every area of our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.